right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. And welcome back to another episode of Toxic Masculinity, where we are here to entertain, offend, and defend anyone and everyone who we decide to on that particular day. And won't let a few facts get in the way of a good old story. We are two crotchety old farts that will... Uh, that woke up this morning and still identified as males with testosterone. Can you believe that? Without further ado, my cohort in crime, the infamous mustache man himself, Don the Predator Fry, and I, his trusted co cohort, Dan to be severed here. And, but, and we don't have the Quinn as the cameo. She is missing in action, but uh, rest assured she will show up here again. And today's guest needs really no introduction, a former amateur wrestler, cage fighter, and some, uh, coach of some of the greatest MMA fighters ever. We have today, we have Pat Militech in the house. Hi, guys. How you doing, Dan and Don? Good, Pat. How you doing, partner? So, again, as we oh. were stating earlier, you're pulling the Dan Severn audio where you're simply driving down the road. You're, you're conducting one set of business while doing something else. So you're making yeah, me misty eyed here, Pat. I'm in the I'm in the passenger seat, luckily, so I'm good. But uh, no, I'm still fighting gravity. <laughs> yeah, that, gravity's a bitch. It's winning at my place. You just Don, I figured out finally that you gotta buy gravity boots and sleep upside down, and then it starts to reverse it over time. Well, and where it worked for my ex, she she slept upside down in the closet every night. You know, with, without gravity boots. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, 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 my! Well, that's, that that Don he comes up with some of them zingers here right now. So, uh, Pat, I mean, you, you've been in 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 the in the news lately, and in, in the aspect that you're going to be fighting again. Can we? I mean, I I, I definitely. I mean, that's I'm going to talk about the the current stuff, but then I'll go back to your you know you got a phenomenal uh, past record here of just you know what you've done in your own personal MMA career and a lot of athletes that you that you worked with but tell tell us about you know uh when when this came together and 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 why yeah well um you know I to be honest with you Dan and Don I I uh you know a couple years back when all the lockdowns were going on and all of that stuff you know I uh, big adamant believer in, in natural health and, and a lot of stuff like that. And, um, you know, I had healed myself from severe respiratory disease, something that I had my entire childhood. Uh, I, I did research and ended up healing myself. And that's the only reason I ever won a world title. And I use that same formula, the same organic biological, um, natural existing, antioxidants on my athletes to give them extraordinary, you know, different level endurance and then just taught them how to fight. So that's a, a formula that, you know, is, is something that's essential for human health. But so my understanding and having done research on, on, you know, a lot of these treatments over all the years is something I've been doing for over a quarter of a century uh, that started 10 years even after I healed myself of of very severe disease. And that's, like I say, the only reason I was able to become successful. So I was coming at things a little bit differently back then. And this is a long story short. I'm trying to make it short, but 
when they locked us all down, um, I, I had a different viewpoint, of course. And so my good friend, Michael Nunn, who was the best pound for pound boxer in the world for four years. And I, he's from Davenport, Iowa, uh, right next door to Bentonor, where I'm from. And we decided to be a light heavyweight. Uh, he was, uh, he was, uh, middleweight, middleweight and, and then light heavyweight, but he was many time world champion. And, um, I mean, back when Sugar Ray Leonard, Duran, all those, none of them would fight him. He was, uh, he was a little bit younger than them, but none of them would fight him. They knew what was going to happen. He was incredible. And so anyway, uh, we did that. We did that match with each other in Davenport, Iowa, to bring out our community and bring everybody together. You got to remember that there was a lot of rioting, burning, burning cities, all kinds of craziness. And he and I, as friends, decided to do this to really bring our community together and educate citizens that, you know, if you decided to, it was possible to go ahead and take your freedom back, which everybody did. We had, you know, 5,000 people show up during a lockdown when there was no, that weekend, that night, there was no athletic events in the entire planet. We were literally, I think, almost the only one that was taking place. And we did that for a purpose. And Michael and I had no intentions of knocking each other out or anything like that while well, we, we squatted each other around but ultimately it was again it was for a purpose and this time because I, I have no I've, I haven't had a desire to hurt another human being in 30 years you know so um, when the gentleman I'm fighting Mike Jackson and I were friends uh, we worked together at the LFA and uh, other organizations and uh, I cornered him against CM Punk at the United Center in Chicago. Uh, and we, we got along very well. And then when all the craziness, the lockdowns and the, and the violence started, he started really changing his rhetoric to be very extreme and kind of canvassing language about uh, certain groups of people. And I would confront him. I'd say, dude, this isn't, you're not the guy that I know. I don't know what your problem is and why you're being like this. But burning burning your neighbor's business is not the it's not the answer. No. Well, I happened to go to Washington D.C. with my podcast partner and some other people just to observe what was going on on January 6th in Washington D.C. Of course, we did nothing wrong. Uh, nobody did. Up. No, nobody did except the other side killed a gal. You know, but they 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 sweep that underneath the carpet. And but ultimately. Um, he wrote an article that was titled Pat Milicic supports domestic terrorism and white supremacy. Well, that <laughs> in a, in a roundabout way to say the least, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, a personal, very personal attack character assassination and uh, ultimately cost me my broadcasting job. And so, you know, I sent him texts and said, you know, I tell you what, we've, we've got some business to discuss when I see you because what you did was, was wrong. Uh, and that's, you know, the best way to say it. And he basically said, you know, because he's in his mid-30s, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll walk the dog with your old ass. <laughs> and um, I said, okay, let's make a date. So we made a date uh, for October 14th coming up here next month and, you know, a month or whatever. And uh, we're in a fight in Davenport, Iowa, at the River Center, and people can get the fight 
at cagedaggression.tv. They can pay for it. Uh, but, but uh, you know, this, this the purpose that I see here is not just my individual situation where somebody conducted this operation of trying to destroy my life, but more than anything else, this is for all the active military that had to decide between serving their country and taking a, uh, an experimental treatment and all the people that lost their jobs because of it, all the people that lost their businesses and all of the things that have happened economically in this nation, which we, we said on my podcast numerous times that if you close your business and everybody follows through with this, you're literally imploding our monetary system and we're going to pay a severe price for it. It wasn't, you didn't have to be a master's in economics or a PhD in economics to understand the, the simplicity of this plan. So, um, anyway, you know, all those people that have dealt with the mass, uh, en masse cancel culture is what was conducted this operation over the past three and a half years. This is for all the people that have suffered through this, uh, because I know your frustrations. This affected me directly. And, uh, on October 14th, I'm going to go out and take care of business. Even though I'm in my mid fifties and he's in his mid thirties, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this guy. And, and uh, it's not about beating him up. What style of fighting is that? Uh, he's a better striker than he is a wrestler or anything like that. But ultimately, like, again, this isn't about beating him up. No, no, is it MMA? Is it MMA or boxing? MMA. Okay. Yeah. But so, you know, like I say, this is, I, I don't ever, I never have the desire to injure another human being in, in my life. I mean, I, my, my life has shifted to uh, full-time soil, the soil situation in our country, which is, our soil has been killed by synthetic chemical farming. I don't blame the farmers. They're just doing what they were told. And uh, human, uh, Americans' health is being destroyed by you know, just simply 40 million acres of lawn care, putting, you know, synthetic chemicals all over your lawn. Well, that's the water everybody's drinking. You know, if there's, if there's any wonder why disease and, and hormonal imbalance and mental illness is, is, is exploding in America, it's not because we're weaker genetically. It's because of our environment that's affecting us, right? So that's the sort of stuff that I, that I focus on is helping people, not only how to heal your soil and how to grow food, biologically with no chemicals, but also about human health and, and how people can be addressing this and, and making their life better. Uh, that's, that's my focus is helping people, not hurting people. So again, like I say, this is not about beating up Mike Jackson. It's about educating people. No, well, well said there, Pat. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people when they when they you know they hear that you come from a you know MMA fighting background, you know they they don't realize how articulate uh, people can be, and that's where you know you're using your brain. It's not not as a punching bag, but you got to be able to train properly, train safe safely, because uh, um, when the days of competition are finally behind you, you have to live in this body. Uh, from all the damage that you may have taken in uh, the sport uh, of of competition, uh, whereas I mean, even then, if you look at like a sport like boxing, you know the coach might say, "Here, Pat, put on this uh, headgear. That way, we're, you're not going to get cut. You won't get your nose broke. No teeth will be knocked out. You're throwing this mouthpiece, but you're still taking the percussion. 
each time that you get hit, even if they're hitting you with a boxing glove and you're wearing a uh, you know a headgear onto it, there's still that that gray matter is being sloshed around, and uh, you'll see you know like a sport of boxing has been around you know for 100 plus years, so you see easily some of the results of these boxers that have been in the game um, for for a long time. They have uh, signs of CTE. They have uh, signs of Alzheimer dementia. Uh, all seeping in, and uh, I mean, you know, to look at, you know, again, you, you you've got such a, a story type of career, just of all the different athletes that you have worked with, all the different camps that uh, you've trained different uh, uh, great fighters. So you know, you 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 your 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 track record speaks for itself for not only for what you've done for yourself as a competitor, but, but what you've done with other athletes as well. I'm really intrigued with what you've done here when you said that you healed yourself. Um, the research that you did, because a lot of people don't realize that if they do eat real foods, consume real um, herbs, spices, things of that nature, that they can do things. They always think they, they need to go see that doctor and take that that uh, pill. It's always like, take this subscription, this where usually at, at, the, at the end of time, when, uh, when, when life comes to an end, I always say that look at Look at a person's medicine cabinet and count the different prescriptions that they were on. Look at their bedside and count how many additional pres prescriptions are laying right there bedside. Did they did they pass because of natural causes or was it due to chemical a chemical cocktail of just one too many or did they did they again they might they're, they're losing. Uh, their thought process. Did they take one, uh, one application, two, three, four, or you know, just got tired of it altogether? So, um, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is, um, while you know, I never suffered from the symptoms of of concussions. I've never been unconscious from sparring with pro boxers, kickboxers, MMA guys, anything like that. But I, at the same time, you know, I have to understand that you know for basically a quarter of a century every day I was in the gym working with fighters. I mean, I've retired from coaching quite a while back, but I never took any weeks off unless it was that rare vacation during the Christmas holiday or whatever. So, you know, I was, I was sparring every week. I was wrestling every week. I was, you know, getting, getting kicked and punched and thrown down. Um, and, you know, of course that's, that's childhood. But so I, I think I, I definitely am not the same person I was when I started. You know, I do have some anxiety issues, uh, maybe a little bit of short-term memory stuff where I really have to stay on my schedule. Uh, but, but overall, my retention of information that I consider valuable, um, you know, is I think spot on for the most part. But, you know, I, I, do, I do recognize too early on that I was training with older boxers, older kickboxers, and I would I would listen to them talk and lose their train of thought easily and things like that. And I I really started paying attention because I didn't want to be that guy. Um, I didn't want to have the the deliberate wars and take the punishment and physical abuse uh, in fights that that a lot of these other guys have. So that you know at least was paying attention. But back to your subject on, you know, the prescription drugs and things, you know, where I try to appeal to people is on a couple different fronts. It's, 
you know, when a plant is sick, because I work in the biological and organic agriculture world, teaching farmers how to grow food without chemicals, is when a plant is sick, it's always the environment, right? It's, it's either not enough water, uh, not enough sun, uh, some sort of chemical imbalance in the soil, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's always the environment. And humans have to understand that we're the exact same. And our environmental toxins, uh, the, the billions of pounds of petroleum-based fertilizers and, and pesticides, herbicides, fungicides that are thrown down to sterilize our soil because when you grow synthetic plants, plants synthetically, I should say, corn, beans, wheat, anything, well, those plants are very sick, and nature will kill anything that, that is sick. So you have to sterilize the soil. You have to kill everything in the soil to make sure that those plants survive and you can harvest. And by doing that, um, you know, normal soil has, healthy soil has over a ton of just microorganisms in it, one acre. Now it's less than 100 pounds, and most of that is genetically modified microorganisms. And conversely, those are the microorganisms that are supposed to be in our gut to help us correctly digest food, absorb nutrients, all those different things. And then you add in the heavy metals and chemicals in those, in those products that are ending up in our water, and we're seeing the detrimental impact. So when people get sick, we don't say that there's any such thing as disease. It's just different manifestations of inflammation that are caused by these impurities trapped in the cells of these innocent people. So then they go to an expert in a white lab coat. He looks at their symptoms, looks in a book for symptoms, and then it tells him what synthetic chemical product to write you a prescription for. So they just give you more synthetic chemicals to either mask the symptoms or numb you or whatever it is. So that's, that's where we're at right now. And um, I think a lot of people are waking up to that fact that they want to get away, want to get out of that system. And we just offer them the option uh, that there are products and substances out there that can remove these, these chemicals and heavy metals out of your body and fix your gut bacteria so that you can, you know, have a good quality of life. Yeah, well, it was just said, just, just, just the, the the gut alone. I mean, a lot of people have got a lot, a lot of things that are taking place inside their stomach, and you know, for digestion problems, or even uh, for the fact that they can't uh, do uh, uh, good bowel movements and things of that nature. I mean, I, I, I go back to uh, the days of the first time I can remember of ever going to an a, an old farm auction. Um, there was a, a piece of machinery I had never I'd never seen before. Because I was young, I was probably I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, 10, 12 years of age, somewhere in that, that uh, neighborhood. I'm, I'm there with my father, and my grandfather, and uh, and I asked my dad. I said, "Pops, well, you know, what's what, what's that?" And he says, "Oh, that's, that's a, a manure spreader." And my grandfather says, he looks at my father, says, "No, son." He says, uh, "That's called the politician." <laughs> and and I, I never understood that I never understood that joke until years later you know when you start realizing you know politics is the nature and, and I go oh granddad severed he was right he was spot on the you know, manure spreader was called the politician just spreading shit <laughs> yeah that's that's for sure and I think everybody's waking up to that fact a lot more too you know and um, my my significant other who's a brilliant 
woman, um, she's a motivational speaker and mindset coach, and she makes the statement that she's not Democrat or Republican. She's she's merely sensible. And yeah. that's, that's the best way to be. Yeah. Well, again, that's where I, I've said this before with, with between Don and myself that when when you're finally down to the last couple last couple of candidates, you just want to go up to that microphone and just say, uh, "Which one of you two assholes is going to fuck up the world the least?" Because do I really like either one of you? No, but I'm left with you two as my choices. So, which one of you retards is going to screw up the world the least? So. And that's yeah. that's that's sad. And because again, they make all these big political promises, but who actually ever delivers on the goods? That's the the bad part. And again, I think you should be held accountable for what you promised and what did you deliver. And that's not happening. And and uh, I think people should be, uh, you know, they should be stripped of their wealth because they didn't uh, come through, and they should be. Uh, in prison, not, not these luxurious places. I'm talking about hard prison time, you know, making license plates, things of that nature. But their wealth well, should be just, taken just away as well. Simple, just the one simple thing of understanding that none of them have ever passed uh, term limits tells you exactly it's just a racket, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They make the laws, so they're going to make it, make it in their benefit, you know? I mean, well, you get elected for one one term, and you get retirement for the rest of your life, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, if I wanted to sell, if I wanted to sell a bunch of guns legally, um, I would become a U.S. senator and then have diplomatic immunity, so right. they couldn't search a shipping container full of AK-47s that I was selling to the Ukrainians or whoever else I was. Right. What does cayenne pepper do for your buddy, Pat? Going back into the nutrition aspects. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory. It's very good. I mean, uh, you know, farmers will, uh, on top of chicken feed, sprinkle cayenne pepper flakes, actually. Um, helps with digestion and, and inflammation, things like that. I mean, Dandelions are anti-inflammatory. They they help reduce blood pressure. You know, every weed that they tell you has to be killed in your yard. Literally, almost all of them are actually the original medicinal plants that that we actually need. That's the thousands thousands of years of of plant medicine that was replaced by Rockefeller's petroleum-based garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, have you been doing anything special there for 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 the upcoming boxing match? I mean, obviously, conditioning is always something good that you need to to be doing. So, you uh, how many um, how many rounds are are you supposed to be going on, on this? Uh, this is a three five minute MMA match, and I've been training with some some uh, real good boxers, um, kickboxers, and then some real good Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belts, and then also wrestlers. Uh, and you know, I I tell you, I for being in my mid-50s, I actually feel pretty dang good for having not really trained for a fight, obviously, for a long time. And so, you know, the weight's coming off great. Um, I feel good. My endurance is up. My timing feels good. Power feels good. And, you know, so I I feel I feel pretty good. There's nothing he can hit me with that's going to hurt me. 
uh, he's not going to out-wrestle me. So, I mean, he has a very slim chance of really doing anything with me. I just just need to go out and do the work and and uh, remove him from the from uh, remove him from uh, the cage, so to speak. Right? Did you you play any other sports as a child, and what made you want to get into MMA? Uh, I played football. Football was actually my favorite sport, along with you know wrestling. I wrestled. It's kind of funny. All my brothers were six foot five, and I assumed I was going to be at least playing linebacker for the University of Iowa. Uh, if not, you know, in the NFL, I was that in the football. And I was a good football player. I really was. Yeah, we all uh, had that but, dream, didn't we? <laughs> right. I, yeah, yes, we did. And I, but I, I didn't grow like my brothers. And I wrestled to stay in shape uh, and make myself a better football player. That's why I started wrestling. And, uh, you know, turns out I ended up not, not really getting big enough for the NFL technically for the stuff that I wanted to do playing linebacker. And so, yeah, lo and behold, the wrestling that I merely did to keep myself in shape and be a better football player was what I ended up having to use as a base of training to start, you know, learning all the other stuff for mixed martial arts. But it actually, it probably a lot of not sort of it doesn't for you, but for me, it, it makes me feel good when I see uh, they when they've done a couple of these uh, different uh, surveys to see what uh, sporting type of a background is really uh, has translates over well, and the sport of MMA and uh, wrestling has really trans transferred over well uh, in the in the MMA world. Uh, just for sheer fact that I mean, it, you know, we're, you're not allowed to submit people, choke them out, you throw an arm bar, stuff like that, but uh, that uh, work ethic, uh, that uh, ability to break people uh, cardiovascular-wise, physically, mentally, uh, that's uh, definitely a, a, a big carryover, but uh, I think you see right now where the sport of amateur wrestling is actually one of the strongest sports to have in your foundation for a mixed martial arts career. Other stuff, you know, can be added to it, but if you were a successful amateur wrestler, you're, the odds of you tr uh, transferring or relating back over into MMA is uh, pretty pretty high. Yeah, and I think, you know, it was a blessing I, because, again, I wrestling, while I loved it, I, you know, I didn't foresee myself going to the Olympics or anything like that from the time I started wrestling in, you know, first, second grade, whatever it was. So, but I did see myself playing in the NFL. Uh, but so I can remember the growing, the growth process of wrestling where, you know, in eighth grade, I thought I was, I was hot shit. I was 32 and 0 that season and go to a tournament. My buddy was 28 and 0 or 30 and 0. And we went together. Uh, a parent drove us up there and we went to Waterloo, Iowa to a wrestling tournament during the summer. And his first-round draw was a guy named Tara Stevenson from Waterloo. And my first-round draw was uh, Johnny Scott from Waterloo. And we, did, we hadn't even heard of these guys before. And so, anyway, we're wondering who these guys are. That's our first round. And I look at their records, and they're like, okay, these guys are like 40, you know, and why are, why are we not seated better than this? Why are we getting put with these two guys from Waterloo? And – so we finally found them. They were outside. They were buddies, and they were smoking cigarettes in eighth grade outside the gymnasium. <laughs> and 
So my buddy and I go, oh, well, we've got to have better endurance than these clowns. And so he wrestled his guy first, Tara Stevenson, got pinned in 58 seconds in a leg cradle and, uh, you know, got toyed with. And then I got beat by Johnny Scott, something like 16 to 3. And I thought, okay, uh, I just realized that I don't even know how to wrestle. And it's back to the drawing board. And those things would happen to me where I would go up against guys who were world-class and realize, okay, I'm not a world-class wrestler. Now and then I could beat those guys. But for the most part, I, I wasn't that level. And, uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't until, like I said, that I actually focused and, and actually healed myself from the respiratory disease where I could train correctly and, and figure things out a little bit. But it, it's a very humbling experience to get on a wrestling mat with somebody who's that, that good and just get destroyed. Yeah, no, wrestling is one of those very humbling uh, sports where, you know, <laughs> I I began this, a couple of stories where I've been on both ends of the spectrum where I've, I've had, you know, the cheers and, and the accolades, but then, uh, you know, early on in my career, it was like walking out on the mat knowing that our team wins if Dan Severn does not get pinned and knowing that I counted every light in that gymnasium dozens of times over to where I'm on my back, bridge, fight, get it back off my back. The guy cross faces me again, puts me right back on him, lets me lets me go just to take me, hit me in the headlock and throw me back down again to where, yeah, I, I made it through that six minutes. I'm a broken individual. The score was so lopsided, you know, that, that you know, he was definitely triple almost probably triple triple digits on me, but it was done. But that was before there was ever tech balls and things of that nature. So but uh and like I said, being broken. I mean, I just was broken. But uh, the only thing I can say is like, well, he didn't pin me, and and our team won. So it's been I've been on both ends that that losing end where they weren't your team wasn't expecting that much out of you, and then on the other end where it's it's uh you know you you regale in the uh, the fruits of your labor. So yeah, yeah, athletics yeah. has that has that way of kind of just uh, exposing you for what you are at that particular time. Yes, yeah, it does. You were the first ever UFC welterweight champion. So what can you describe the significance of that achievement in your career? You know, you remember back in those days, it was, you know, um, on my way towards the UFC. Uh, you know, I think I was 20 and one or 21 and one by the time I got in there. Uh, so it was kind of a long road, but I was doing, you know, televised debates with politicians just to keep the sport legal in states that I would, you know, going to compete in, and it was a kind of a stressful time because, you know, you set your sights on a goal, and all of a sudden, people that seem to be in positions of control and power kind of want to, you know, get all over those dreams, and so um, the, the process of getting there was, you know, not just the training and the learning and the conditioning and the bumps and the bruises and the healing from injuries, it was, you know, doing a lot of research on other sports, safety, safety facts. Uh, you know, politicians would make the simple statement of, you know, this is just nothing more than dog fighting or, you know, this and that. And that we're, we're seriously concerned that somebody's going to get, you know, hurt or killed. And I would just come back with simple things like, well, if the, if the senator actually cared about 
the safety of athletes, well, there wouldn't be any Little League baseball. Seven kids die a year from line drive. Uh, you know, between 20 and 40 boxers die per year. Spectators at auto racing events die, you know, from trunks flying off of cars into the crowd. So, you know, this doesn't come down. They have no concern for the safety of anyone. No, they were getting paid uh, off. They were getting paid off. To, um, it was. It, it came down to the fact boxing. that the it wasn't sanctioned, and the athletic commission wasn't getting its cut. Right. Yeah. And it was killing you know? boxing, and boxing uh, was paying that senator. You know. Yeah. They and they would they would actually agree with me at that point. They would say, "Well, I will agree with Mr. Miller that you know there is uh, the financial issues that you know the state is not taking part in it." and in control and things like that, you know, which, uh, for good or bad, uh, that's now obviously long behind us. What, what, great, Pat, when did you start your amateur wrestling career? Because I know, like, you know, Iowa, you know, being a product of Iowa, Iowa is really known for producing a lot of great wrestlers over, you know, the various decades. When did you start your actually amateur wrestling career? I think I was five or six, Dan. It was, and it's funny how I got pushed into it. I was walking to um, one of the elementary schools. Uh, it was a, it was a wrestling clinic or tryout or something, and I, I uh, attended that. You know, here I am in a, a white t-shirt, and, um, white gym trunks, and you know knee-high socks and Converse, you know, the old Chuck Taylor canvas basketball shoes back in those days, dude. And so, you know, I go there and we learn a few basics. I'm totally clueless, obviously, at six years old. And leaving the place, um, somehow I crossed paths with this big kid who was kind of a bully. And I was kind of adverse to i didn't really dig the whole bullying thing i'd been bullied my whole childhood pretty much from having giant brothers and all that other stuff but uh so i stood up to this kid and he put me on my back faster than i could blink an eye and slapped me around a little bit and said this phrase and he goes you're stuck and gets up off me and walks away and i was like well that wasn't a very pleasant experience and <laughs> one of my one of my one of my buddies that went with me said, "That's the middle school wrestling coach's son. That's John McCutcheon." And I went, "Okay, I'm definitely sticking with wrestling because I don't ever want to have to experience that again." <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say something there, Don, or you're just belching. No, I'm just coughing. Oh. Pat, what's the what's the most challenging aspect of your training right now? Uh, you know, training with intensity, but still being smart. You know, in my mid fifties, I don't want to. There's uh, there's no reason to, you know, get in knockdown, drag out. But you know, I know how to fight. It comes down to timing and conditioning. Right. So that's kind of really what I'm focused on. But um, doing, I tell you, um, where my endurance. And this is for anybody out there listening who's in there, you know, if they're out of state, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, something that always brings my conditioning back to where I feel pretty dang good is um, incline sprints 
So 40 yards, do, I do five-minute rounds, five five-minute rounds of where you sprint up a hill for 40 yards and then jog back down to the starting line and do that over and over for five minutes, take your rest between rounds, and then do it again for five rounds. And then also uh, the good old aerodyne, doing five five-minute sprints of aerodynes, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, or <laughs> I hate, that. I hate that son of a bitch machine, man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I tell you what, I tell you what, Don, if you want to get, get it back and do that, you know, three times a week, along with, you know, just some whatever uh, cardio on the days in between and some lifting, you'll come back incredibly fast. I, I think that sprints, not only essential for young athletes, but especially for guys our age, uh, to get back your fast twitch muscles firing again and get your cardiovascular back fast where you've got really good, you know, endurance, that's that's a big one, man. Sprints are a huge one. Yeah, it's got to take you a long time to warm up and stretch out because so you don't pull a hamstring, right, or, or, or a butt or a I, back muscle. Yeah, I'll do some warm-up stuff. and then, uh, But once you get through the first round and blow your lungs out and your legs get full of blood, um, it actually gets easier, you know, once you get through that part. Just like when we were young, you know, the first five-minute round of going hard sucked. Yeah. That's just the way it was. And then then your lungs were stretched out and you were good to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you just got to – I just got to be careful about uh, pulling muscles, you know? I mean, they just they – just, it seemed like my uh, – to begin with, my muscles were – and tendons were too short for my skeletal frame, you know, <laughs> and it looked, it's like they're getting worse. You know, they're getting shorter uh, over the years. Yeah, we'll do, uh, you know, do 40-yard jog, walk back to the starting line, do five rounds of that until you can get to where you can start running a little faster, you know, baby steps, right? Right. Yeah, that's basically that's what, all you're saying there, Pat. You, everyone, everyone's got to start somewhere as long as you just, I mean, that's where – People just they gotta look at they're not in competition with anybody else, they're only in competition with themselves. So yeah, you're gonna everyone's gonna suck when they start up at the beginning, but knowing that you know each each week or so, if you can improve a little bit more, you, you shave up a little bit of time or your recovery is coming back a little bit quicker, that's what it really boils down to. That's lots of people when they go to the gym, they think that they're you know, because they have to grab the lighter weights. They can't do as many repetitions. So you know, a lot of uh, men, I'd say they kind of get uh, a little bit more intimidated to go to uh, the gym. And th th thus, you don't see a lot of senior citizens unless there is some type of a silver sneaker type of a, a program that, that is being run there. But uh, the seniors actually need it more than anyone because of like some things you said before, just by lifting some weights, it helps to build some more of that muscularity in that. And, uh, you know, also doing uh, anything that, that involves uh, – now, strengthening of the legs, net because uh, somewhere in the future of a senior, you are going to lose your balance and you are going to fall down. And it's how you fall yeah. down is to whether or not you break something. So you're going to lose, uh, you're, you're, you're losing calcium out of your, your musculature. So by lifting weights helps build up a more musculature. And you can also take, you know, whatever type of, a, um, of, of an additional, uh, you know, supplement on top of that you know a lot of women that uh, need a little bit more calcium stuff like that just because for the fact that they lose calcium on a monthly basis so yeah you know what's uh 
and that's where we go back to, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I've got arthritis because I guess I'm just getting older or whatever. Well, look, while gravity does take a toll, the years do take a toll, depending on what we've done in life. There's a reason that, you know, if we, in the book that I read probably 30 years ago, uh, called Dead Doctors Don't Lie. And that was a really instrumental book for me. And some of the parts that I remember out of there are, you know, that he made the, the he wrote in his book that men in the Himalayan foothills can father children into their 90s, upper 80s, lower 90s, because of the nutrients in the soil that their food has grown, right? So, again, we look at Americans and our serious uh, health ep epidemic, and our nutrients have been, you know, destroyed or just not bioavailable to the plants because of the damage to the soil. Well, we're getting very low levels of nutrients in our bodies to begin with, and and then being pounded with those chemicals that cause all the inflammation. So if people just make the adjustments, and I'll just tell people that the key is not just eating right because you it can say organic and it can still have synthetics and everything else in it. Uh, that's kind of the way they've done things. But taking products that have antioxidant uh, qualities to them Antioxidants are the substances that remove those things from the body. And when you do that, you tend to be able to have a little better movement, a little more flexibility, better breathing, better endurance, better recovery, you know, all those things that start to happen. And, you know, I've seen a lot of folks that are a lot older, 60s, 70s and older, who suddenly start working out again because they've cleaned their bodies out of these substances. And they didn't even know. They didn't even realize they were capable of doing this stuff. So that's really super important for people to, to uh, research. Well, Pat, have you written any books yourself? Uh, the only book that ever came out was Blood in the Cage. That was written, actually, by John Wertheim. Um, and that has no information in it whatsoever about all the stuff that I was doing back then. I didn't realize how significant it was uh, all the way back then of what I had discovered in terms of healing myself and then creating athletes that could do things endurance-wise that nobody else could do, really. Very few on the planet could do. So that was, you know, I, I would love to share that information, and I do when I give speeches at whether it's an agriculture uh, a convention or human health, and, uh, human health and performance gatherings, things like that. Uh, because most people go into grocery stores or the vitamin store and grab stuff off the shelf, not knowing that those vitamins and minerals are actually just synthetics from a laboratory. They're not from, they're not actually organic bonded with carbon nutrients that you are actually able to use that are going to benefit you. You, you. Are you trying to say that the hoaxer was, uh, was uh, selling me uh, some bill of goods right there where he says, drink your milk and uh, take your vitamins, your, your little hokomaniacs, and uh, say your prayers at night. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think he took some other vitamins, but nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he, Pat, at one time, you and Monty Cox, I swear, you guys had to have, I, I'm trying to think how many champions that you guys had between 
between the two of you, because I, I think there was a point that that they were saying that o only one coach could have so many athletes underneath them, and, and you and Monty Cox had between the two of you, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll say 10 or more different uh, athletes that uh, they were all, you know, in, in on the top 10 in the world. So, I mean, it was, uh, can, can you mention it? I mean, do you, do you feel comfortable? Comfortable mentioning any athletes that you worked with at the time, and and what what were some of their accolades? Oh, well, you know, I mean, there were the you know that everybody knows about the Matt Hughes's, Jens Pulvers, Tim Sylvia's, you know, uh, all of those, the Rich Franklins, uh, Dave Monet, you know. Uh, but there was, I think somebody did the counting, and there was ninety five kids that we got in the televised, um, televised careers. 12 World Champs, uh, two IFL team championships. Uh, but I think ultimately it was quite a few. I mean, we had at one time in the room, I think we had 40 guys that were ranked in the top 10 in the world in their in their prospective weight divisions. So it was really a room full of, you didn't get any, you got no easy goes. There was just nobody. If you were having an off night at all, you were going to really, you were going to pay the price. So. It was good because it was there were so many good guys, uh, and nobody you could never get through a week without getting your ass kicked. I can tell you that. <laughs> Definitely uh, a very humbling sport. You might have a good day today, but uh, tomorrow it might be something totally different. You got to enjoy oh, enjoy it while it's there. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you you had. Okay, how many people did you say that came out of there as sports commentators out of that group? You said 100 plus? No, no, we had uh, 95 televised athletes. So we put 95, oh, 95 athletes into televised fight careers. Okay, I understood now. Okay, I, I, thought, I thought maybe that they, they somehow spun into doing like either play by play or things of that nature. So now, now I understand that they actually, they actually made it out to television for, for the career. Yeah. You know, it was. Uh, I think it's it's fun to tell the story about when Coleman came. Uh, he had lost two or three fights in a row and had dropped out of the top ten. And he called me up and he goes, Milicic. He goes, uh, I'm thinking about coming to train with you. You think that's all right? I got I got this thing called the Pride Grand Prix. I'm just you know want to want to come out there for a while and train with you guys. And I said, Well, Mark. I said, uh, I'd love to have you. I said, look, as long as you, as long as you do what I tell you to do and we don't have arguments, uh, I'm all about it, bro. I'm all about it. Um, and so he came out and did everything I told him to do. And tell you what, uh, he trained his ass off and, and then went and won that Pride Grand Prix. And that was pretty cool to, to see him have that resurgence, but boy, the, during the training, there was some times where uh, one of my heavyweights was sparring with him on a Saturday morning, and Mark knocked my heavyweight out. He hit my heavyweight, and uh, that heavyweight, uh, Nate Schroeder, who's a still to this day a, a Davenport police officer, and dropped Nate, and Nate looked at me and goes, I'm done, bro, and I, I looked around the room, and I went, well, I got no more heavyweights. I got nobody to spar with this guy. So I'm going to put the gloves on with him. And so we're going at it. And I think it was fourth round. He hits me with a looping right hand in the temple. 
and the whole left side of my body, right down the meridian, the center line of my body went completely numb. And I thought there's about 20 seconds left in the round and I might actually get knocked out. I've never been, I've never been even close to getting knocked out by anybody, but he hit so freaking hard back then. So I started hitting him with right hand just to back him off enough to make it to the end of the round. And luckily after that, when the bell sounded, he looked at me and goes, all right, I'm good, Bill And I was just like, thank God. <laughs> what do you think about Mark getting back in the ring to box? You, you know, think? I think good. For him. I think good for him, man. He's done some incredible things uh, for himself, and you know, I'm I'm really paying attention to him. You know, I've had my battles with alcohol, and I just recently had, you know, an issue with that, and I'm back. You know, I'm just handing all the all my demons over to God and focusing on my myself. Um, and focusing on, you know, I teach people how to heal themselves physically, but, you know, I have to work on myself spiritually and mentally. So I, I'm inspired by what Mark's doing and, you know, good for him. I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's admirable. And I think it's going to inspire a lot of people uh, by doing what he's doing. So, you know, I pass off to him for doing what, doing that. Yeah. Okay. But here I'll, I'll go to a different issue, but it still involves uh, the, the UFC to a certain extent, but uh, Dana White bringing the the slap boxing. What are, what are your what's your two cents on slap boxing and yay nay for it against it and if so why? <laughs> well, you I you know I think all three of us can agree that you know um, we were training very hard to for the most part get out of the way of punches, um, learn how not to get hit, how not to take you know abuse things like that. Um, Besides Don's fight in Japan with the Japanese fighter, Takiyama, yes, <laughs> we, we all did a pretty good job of that for the most part. Um, so there's, I don't see the purpose of standing in front of somebody and allowing them to strike you yeah. in that that level of severity and vulnerability. Um, I don't see it serving a whole lot of purpose, artistically or skill set wise. Um, and I, honestly, I. I don't know how well any of those are doing. I think there's some people that want, but I think overall it's kind of the devolvement of society that allows these things to, it kind of tells you where we're at. Like over the past, over the past 20 years, I'm sure you guys have noticed as well, the number of drivers in the left lane going the speed limit in the passing lane. And the more those numbers grew, the more I knew we were in trouble as a society. And I think slap boxing is kind of indicative and a, and a signal that, well, our society is a little bit sick, you know. So, well, but, no, again, I, I, Pat, I, yeah, excuse me for interrupting. I mean, I, I've watched, I've watched this before. I've happened to be actually in Russia. And I've seen some of it live there, and, and it, yeah, it's yeah. kind, of, it's where, where it kind of was came from Russian bar mentality. It's just, it's just, it's just not exactly what I call. Uh, astonishing that uh, a sport like this was developed in a bar someplace, and to think of okay, who can who can take an open palm swat like that? And I mean, there is a there's some there's some skill to this, knowing how to when you swing that inner to hit with more of that of that big old bony palm portion, and uh, the hit as uh, you know on, on that jaw line slash maybe you can catch a bit of the tempo. You know, I, I'm not sure what all that what they're aiming towards, but. Uh, 
it is rather short lived. And the hard part is, you know, when 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 you have a, a high profile figure like a Dana White that says it that they've taken additional safety factors, you know, I, I there is no safety factors in this in this sport. I, always I, I say it because there's there is no defense. I right. I have to I, I basically I put my big old chin out there and I'm gonna let you have three different chances of knocking me out. So there really is no self defense to it. Right. And right. I just look at that. Uh, we've got a dumb enough world already. Why add to the population? So yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah, good good way to explain it. But uh, <laughs> you know, for entertainment, oh well, I sit back and watch it. Sure will, and I'll be like. Glad it's not me. And right. then there's some people that have gotten into it to where are they doing it because of all the wrong reasons? Did they uh, do they do they need the money now? You know, at one point, I mean, yeah, because there, there was a one point in time that uh, I think Tim Sylvia and Mark Coleman, I thought they were going to do a match against each other, but I I heard about it, but uh, nothing else had materialized from that point in time. I I know that at one point Mark wanted to be, I guess they call them head catchers in that sport there as well. But uh, I don't know really where that, that went to. And he was trying to, you know, Mark was trying to pull me into that. I go, Mark, that, that's not my cup of tea. I will never be, I'll watch it. I'll make fun of it, but I don't want to be in it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, and I mean, my goodness, think about it. At least, you know, you guys were good enough for wrestlers where if you got in trouble on your feet, a lot of times you could rely on the wrestling to put a guy on his back and, that was, you know, part of it, and uh, that, there's just no option. You just stand there and take the abuse, and there, everybody. I think everybody in that sport is going to get concussed, and it's going to cause, you know, damage. So, I, I, yeah, I, I don't uh, necessarily see the benefit of it, to say the least. Yeah. So, well, Mr. Fry, unless you got something really you want to ask there, Pat, I know we've kept them on there for you know an hour there, and I don't want that. Unless, uh, uh, Pat, did we did we not cover something you, you'd like to cover about uh, uh, your career? I would just say, and if you guys could uh, have your producer uh, tag the videos in, um, where if people want to find the product, if they've got a garden and they want to grow biologically without chemicals, they can go to soilsavior.com. And um, and then if they want products, antioxidants for um, improved immune function and and athletic performance, endurance, recovery, uh, and overall health, they can go to organicsupersoldier.com. Are these both your, your uh, websites? Yes, those are my products. Those are the the businesses that I started in the last uh, few years here. So soilsavior.com and organicsupersoldiers.com? Yes, sir. All right. And if anyone wants to simply just contact you for uh, – I, I do, you, do you do your own podcast too there, Pat? Um, I usually do Instagram videos and stuff so people can uh, follow me at PJ, as in Patrick J, PJ Militic, M-I-L-E-T-I-C-H. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just want to make sure that, that people, when when you know when this episode airs stuff like that, any way that you can get any kind of a, uh, you know, some more visibility or or uh, you know get some more gigs out of it, that definitely want to 
want you to have the opportunity there as well. So again, I like that. That's soil safe. I'm, I'm going to look at a few of these things. There's soilsavior.com and organicsupersoldiers.com because it's, uh, you know, being growing up as, on a farm myself uh, and uh, watching all the chemicals that were being sprayed and, and, and then seeing the runoff. That yeah, no one goes exactly. into the pricks and stuff like that. And then you'd see a few fish floating around like, and gee, that, uh, well, you know, those chemicals didn't affect the fish in a very positive way. So what's it doing to the actual food itself? Right, right. So, yeah, and the water purification plants aren't purification plants. They're adding, they're adding things to it, but they're not taking a whole lot out, I can tell you that. And coming up on October the 14th, Davenport, Iowa, at uh, Cage Aggression. And the Pat Militich will be taking on Mike Jackson, who basically said he's in roughly his mid-30s, and uh, and now you are in your basically mid-50s now. So we'll have uh, old school versus new school, and, and we shall see uh, who will prevail. And uh, you, you said that people can get the internet pay-per-view at this. Uh... Yeah, cageaggression.tv. Okay. Yeah, See who takes go. who for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Don. You said that was case aggression dot TV. 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 Yes, okay. Yep. All right. Well, Don, let's uh, again. I, I don't want to cut you off. So I just want to talk about be, be my guest. I I I just want to be respectful for for Pat's time. I'd like to appreciate uh, Pat for for coming on here and and uh, you know, Giving us a chance to talk with you and to you've you've had a really phenomenal career. Um, like I said, I've I've known you for for quite a, quite a few years. Have been actually been out to 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 your training camp and and I've worked with some of your athletes along along with working with you and and like I said, you're you're a great competitor, but even greater yet coach. I I, I believe, and you've got a lot that that you could to contribute to a lot of different people and just. You know, the aging population of the United States, if you want to have a little healthier life, a long, a longer and healthier life, you know, look at the, check out the Pat's uh, website, soilsavior.com, organicsupersoldiers.com. And and uh, I'm sure there's ways of contacting Pat directly to see uh, how you can get involved with some more of the projects that maybe he's got going. So, Absolutely. Pat, I, appreciate, I appreciate it. Yeah, yes, please, sir. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for, for, for your time this evening and uh, look forward to uh, uh, hearing about the results coming up here on your October 14th event. Wishing them nothing but the best. Good luck, man. I appreciate it. Hey, you guys need to name this the Dan and Don Show. Dan and Don. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Donnie and Danny. <laughs> Good luck, man. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Take Thanks, care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.